welcome to the Vancouver Tech Podcast. We're your hosts, Lauren Bates and Drew O'Grizzle. And we're here with our special guest this week, Khalil Ashanti. Thanks for joining us. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Khalil. So you are the founder of WeShowUp.io. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll we'll kind of talk about you and your background. Well, you know, coming up with the name was really a, a scary journey because um, <laughs> I was obviously, you know, research helps, and I found out that the original name for Google was Backrub. Did you guys know really? that? I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, it was like think about how that would have went uh, went down. To Backrub right. somebody, I won't even go there. Yeah. <laughs> different podcast. But anyway, um, (laughs) uh, We Show Up is a digital pay what you want solution for experiences. And it came out of a really weird, I don't know if you call it weird, I should probably honor it better than that. It came out of a unique experience that I had with my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I joined the US Air Force to escape a violently abusive childhood to please this guy that I thought was my dad. Only to find out the night before I left for basic training, my mom let it slip. She goes, oh, by the way, that's not actually your real dad. I told you before, you probably just forgot. Well, so, yeah, yeah. So, so I promise all of this leads to the name of the app. But basically, <laughs> the reason that's important is because I, I, I left to join the military. And, and my job in the U.S. Air Force was breakdancing for troops in war zones. Wow. And, and that's we were, a very unique job. Yeah, yeah. And we were, uh, it was a group called Tops in Blue. And, 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 and our job also, in addition to performing, it was actually our job to stand and thank every audience member who came to see us. Oftentimes, our audiences were sitting on tanks. But we, our job was to say thank you to these brave men and women. Um, mm-hmm. Of all, you know, They were Canadian forces, they were British forces, but we were in these dangerous places. And people kept saying, I would have paid more for that. And I thought, oh, that's wow. weird. Now, this is back in the 90s, like 92, 93. And, and I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. And then, I, you know, fast forward to 2008, I'm performing a show on Broadway about my experiences. And I kept shaking hands with audience members after the show mm-hmm. because I felt like it was my duty. It was sort of how I was groomed into the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And people kept saying, thanks, I would have paid more for that. I wasn't actually expecting to like your show, Khalil. You're actually really good. <laughs> and, and I mean, people are so honest after it. And I just thought, well, why isn't there a way for people to, to, to do that? And, and, and mm-hmm. so I, I remember um, I became a dad, had the wife and three kids and living here in Vancouver. And as my kids started to, all three kids were in school, you know, back in those days when kids were going to school, I used to, um, I, I wrote a one person show called about Richard Pryor. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what to charge people. And again, I, I did a, I did sort of the pass the hat thing because I thought, what if I just ask people to pay afterwards? And I made more money that way. But there was no way for me to reach these people. There was no there was no digital equivalent of pass the hat. And that's where we show up came from. It was that I feel like as performers, it's our responsibility to show up for the audience and put quality out there. And if we do then the audience can show up and support us. And that's that's where the name came from. So that, that's uh, quite an incredible story, I think. And it starts with like, one of the things is, here's this thing that I've done that works, but there's no digital equivalency of it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and it was just this agency that I felt because 
as an actor, there were so many parallels to the startup world of actors feeling like someone else was responsible for their success. Well, I'd be acting in movies, but I don't have an agent. Whereas in startups, you hear, well, I'll do my startup, but I got to raise money first. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, maybe you got to create value first. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, so that was sort of what my, my journey was. You know, Drew, you mentioned how there's no digital equivalent. It's like, well, am I supposed to go raise money first? It didn't even occur to me. I was just like, look, I need to create something for me so that there is a digital equivalent. And if I build it myself, then there it is. And, you know, not not being the strongest coder in my class, what I did have on my side was work ethic and age. And so mm-hmm. so that's what I did. I, I built a really ugly prototype and launched it as soon as possible. And right here in Vancouver on Commercial Drive, I tested it at the Havana Theater in the summer of 2018. And Amazing. the digital equivalent made me 82% more money than I made performing on Broadway. Wow. That's a significant increase. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it was going to be a startup. Again, it was me trying to scratch my own itch. But Mm -hmm. as I started calling other theaters saying, hey, I want to bring my show to your theater. By the way, I'll take the risk. I don't want to use your ticketing system. I want to use this thing that I I created. The theater started writing me checks saying, wow, "Wow." the theaters around the world were like, look, we we've been trying to get people off their couches and off Netflix to come and see unknown and, and exciting work. And we feel like this pay after the experience thing is great because these theaters told me, Khalil, what you stumbled upon is something we've known all along but couldn't figure out, which is the the, the perceived value of most experiences is highest afterwards. So how do we monetize that? Mm-hmm. And and that's how We Show Up came to be. That's Very cool. such a cool story. I feel like uh, more stories like that need to be shared because I think I talk to a lot of founders or like potential founders or people who want to get into tech and they think that there's like this one shower moment where everything comes to them and then they just <laughs> go like raise money and build it. <laughs> but yeah. That like, I mean, that does occur, but that's like all, all the 90% of startups that fail, that's their storyline. Okay. But this is a really interesting story where you felt a pain uh, a problem yourself and you wanted to solve it for yourself and drew upon a s- separate experience in your life to build it for yourself. That's amazing. And and you know, the thing is, Lauren, is I, I think you're absolutely right. And and the other thing that I wanted to to share with you is that I didn't actually have the courage to tell the story on stage that led to this decision. Mm-hmm. I was painfully aware and afraid that you know, people love to laugh and man, what am I going to get on stage? And I was, t- I, I, for so many years, I, I was trying to hide my story because I wanted to fit in. Mm-hmm. And it was only when I really embraced the shame of my past and told my story that I ended up getting bigger audiences and people that really wanted to support me, which led to theaters writing checks because they're like, Khalil, we love the story you're trying to tell. And those are the stories we want to tell. Mm-hmm. So there is that you know, like you mentioned, Lauren, there's the tech side, but I feel like one of the things we miss as founders is that there is, there, there is an emotional, um, and, you know, pe- nobody's buying your tech, they're buying you. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's something I learned along the way as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. People want to feel like an emotional component. They want to feel connected to something, especially in tech, because it's so like hands, hands off. People people off, if you will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's more important to focus on what is that story? What is, 
we, we focus on the value, but what is the story and emotional connection to that value, right? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, like, when did, you, when did you sort of come up with the idea uh, and what were the steps to, to bring it into fruition? So I came up with the idea uh, as I was preparing, because one of the things for, um, for anybody listening who, who may not have been through this before, as a performer, uh, you have to rent a theater. You have to rent a space. And, and when you rent a theater to do your show, you, I mean, you don't always have to rent a theater, but if you want to do your own thing, you have to find a space to perform for people to show up at. And, and there's just a lot of stress associated with that. Okay. You got to find the theater and then you got to find, you got to hire their technician to run lights. And then, you know, how much time do I get for rehearsal? How much is it going to cost me? And then you got to find a ticketing system. There were all of these things that piled on that I, and I've been in the industry, I've been performing on stage since 1988. And so I've been, you know, probably date myself, but I've I've been in the industry for a while. You know it. (laughs) Yeah. And and the thing is, I just hated all of those. I'm like, I just want to focus on telling this story and letting the audience receive it. Mm -hmm. And, and all of these different solutions online were so involved and weren't easy to use. And that's probably the, the first time I thought, what if I just said, forget about worrying about money, just show up. And if I do my job, I feel like if I, if I fall, you'll catch me, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so it would have been, you know, early, February, March of 2018, as I was trying to figure out which venue to rent, that the idea popped in my head of pay what you want. And I'd had several years, you know, as I mentioned before, several years of shaking hands with audience members and then them constantly telling me that. It just took me a while to really put it into practice. and so. Mm-hmm. The way it came about was was through this, you know, this um, this show that I did at the Havana Theater in the summer of 2018, and then seeing that happen, and I just thought, okay. And I went back to what I learned, you know, from Drew and all of the TAs at CodeCore when they were teaching us about our final projects. They were in one of the things they hammered into us was coding comes last. Mm-hmm. Draw it out <laughs> first. What, what draw it out? It's like, what's the ideal flow? What is the user going to do? What can she expect by using this? So that's what I did, and mm-hmm. I've always loved to draw. So I, I I literally drew it out, and uh and and um and so that was sort of how that 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 was the seed of the idea. Very cool. As as and you kind of discover that through through the drawing of the the flow. That, that's right. It's very much like, and I guess I keep going back to acting because there's so many similarities, but it's the equivalent of, of writing an outline before you write a script. What are the beats? Mm-hmm. You know, what's, the, what's the inciting incident? Who's the protagonist? There, there needs to be an, a, some sort of uh, a roadmap, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So when you first started, I, I mean, you, as you said, you, you thought about it, you, um, you drew it, and you were looking at piecing things together. Were you working on it all by yourself? Oh, no, no, no. It was actually, uh, you may remember um, uh, uh, Sam. He was one of the TAs mm-hmm. uh, at CodeCore. Um, it, it was definitely not myself. I, I, I owe so much to the kindness of others on this project in the in the beginning. Because like I said, I, I'm not going to front like I was the strongest coder, you know. Um, but <laughs> I guess for me, looking back, is I wasn't about to give up. 
because I knew I could make more money doing this. So the the motivation for me wasn't Silicon Valley or TechCrunch. It was I need to make money. <laughs> so, so so yeah, the the help came uh, from fellow uh, people in my cohort, and and you know this is two years after I graduated CodeCore, so mm-hmm. I had been rejected by at least a hundred jobs <laughs> by then. And, and, and so, yeah, yeah, it was people, you know, um, like, uh, Sam and gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the other TAs, um, uh, Yuri. I don't know if you remember Yuri. Um, I remember Yuri, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tam, it was really late night Skypes with me. I, I would, I'd be coding and then I'd help with dishes and help get the kids fed and get lunches packed. And I tuck the boys in and read them a story. And then I'd be up till three in the morning coding and I'd be texting my, my mentors and like, okay, wait a minute. <sighs> Crap. What, what, what is this error? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it was absolutely terrifying. I was convinced I would never be able to build this thing because it was just I felt like I felt like I had a tiger by the tail. Yeah, but it was also exhilarating um, because you know I I, I guess k- kids who look the way I look and come from the background I have they don't get to do stuff like this. We're told this isn't possible. And I just owe a lot to these people like Drew and a lot of these TAs for, for encouraging me and, and letting me know that it's, it's all possible, but it's all about perseverance. Yeah. It's, it's great that you had the, that network of, you know, people you could, you could turn to when you maybe needed some help. But I think you said something that I thought was really interesting. You said, you know, I wasn't the best coder, but I wasn't going to give up. And I, and I kind of thought, well, that, that whole attitude, I wasn't going to give up, of not giving up, isn't that what, what makes the best coder? That's exactly it. I remember in week one of Coding Bootcamp asking Tam, I said, what, and you've, you know, in all of the cohorts you've graduated, what makes the best coders? Is it algorithms? Is it comp sci degree? And he goes, no, it's perseverance. Mm-hmm. And that's when I knew I was in the right place. It's like, well, I've been through a lot of crap in my life. I know, I know how to do perseverance. Yeah. So also, if you um, you didn't come up with the idea for We Show Up really until about two years after you'd gone to a boot camp, what was the motivation for you to go to a boot camp in the first place? Because I kept paying people to build my website and it took forever. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I just thought, what what is, like, all I need is another date for my show put on my website. What is the deal? And, mm-hmm. and um I think it was a little bit of, to be perfectly honest, it was a little bit of imposter syndrome fear of, of me thinking, man, what, really, am I going to code? Me? Look at me. I don't look like, you know, when you look in TechCrunch or when you look in these different, you don't see people that look like me. Who, what am I going to do this for? And and then it just came to the point where I was like, you know what, why not? Why not? What, what if I could create my own my own success? And, uh, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. it. The, the reason for me taking the boot camp was to just, again, to try to take agency over my future and to, to try to just see what I was missing out on. So your initial plan was, I want to update my website, but it turned out you built a whole company on Yeah. It. And actually my final project, the, the thing that the first thing I built from boot camp was as a result of me performing magic in Japanese at Caesar's palace for three years. And Cool. And, and, <laughs> and, and so the, the, the way that all sort of fits or doesn't fit into the story is that 
that was my, I, I got out of the U S air force in 96 and like most people was looking for a gig. When you get out of the military, you get an honorable discharge and they hand you your papers and they go off you go. And so I'm looking around for a gig and I end up, I'll, we'll save it for another interview, but I end up performing magic in Japanese at Caesar's <laughs> palace. And, and so, but what happened was they actually, uh, hired me to, to do this in English. And I saw that there were so many Japanese guests. And because I lived in Japan till I was 11, I thought, well, there's a need here. Mm-hmm. What if I speak to them in Japanese mm-hmm. during the show? And the guests really loved it. I was doing half of the show in Japanese, half of the show in English. And then I created a Japanese version of the script and Caesar's Palace licensed it from me. Wow. And so, so that was my introduction into casino marketing and my first startup idea. Mm-hmm which to me was a huge deal because I don't come from a family or a story of people who own businesses. We were military. We were color inside the lines. We were uh, get a check, shut up, you know, don't complain, be happy that you have money from someone else and you're building someone else's dream. So this was out of bounds in many ways for my family. But here I am as an entrepreneur in 1997. And I was like, Whoa, this is great. Well, Fast forward to coding boot camp. Well, I, I had this always had this idea of as I performed in casinos, I noticed that um, the, uh, the 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 uh, the inability of casinos to track the, the the spending behaviors of players club members when they weren't gambling. So, in other words, you know, mm-hmm. when you used when you go to a casino. People obviously go to the slot machines, but what started happening in 08 and 09 was that people were spending more money at the steakhouse or to go see a show. You know how Vegas now, you almost don't have to gamble, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. there's no way for them to track this. So I thought, what if I could build something that, and this was my final project for CodeCore, um, what if I could build something that allowed casinos to track the non-gaming spending behavior of their players club members? So as I, you know, you're absolutely right, Lauren. As I joined, I started with the website idea. I thought, man, I, I can update my own websites. Maybe I can build them for others. And then I thought, well, we needed a, you know, final project. And so from the second week, I thought that's what I'm going to build. It's this, this casino. It was called Spend Site, and it was this casino company nice. um, sort of uh, application. And that that was uh, that was my journey. Listening to your story, it sounds like you've always been very um, sort of hands on and uh entrepreneurial with with yourself and your career yeah yeah and i i think one of the things that i i I wanted to share with you about that part of my journey is that it was always in the face of really scary authority and adversity um you know when i came up with the idea for the japanese show Mm -hmm. a lot of the other performers were like they're never going to pay you who are you you you're, you've got to be kidding. This is Caesar's Palace. And I don't know for Canadians, but for Americans, Caesar's Palace is one of the most recognized mm-hmm. names in the world. It's, you know, oh, yeah. everybody knows it. Right. So, yeah. um, uh, so it was always, like you said, it was, I was entrepreneurial, but it was always in the face of tremendous adversity. Uh, another story, if I could share another one with you was when I was in the U S air force, my job in the U S air force, when I wasn't performing, was as a mailman and we had these, I drove a UPS truck and we used to deliver top secret documents to an area called Tonopah, which was one step removed from area 51. Um, it's a long explanation, but basically it's a long, 
didn't see any aliens. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I did. Um, but <laughs> but so I had to take these long drives in these mail trucks, and we had to take these 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 uh, mail uh, buckets. They were these plastic U.S. mail buckets that they used back then, and we had to take them to each office location on base and then we'd bring them back and put them in these carts and then we'd have to roll the carts over to the mail sorting machine and i had this idea of well why don't we just put the carts in the truck (laughs) so instead of taking the boxes out of the truck and putting them in the carts and so i had this idea uh of of doing that and now in the military change is not welcome this was, I was an airman basic. I had no stripes, <laughs> like no stripes. And I had been stationed at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. I had been there for maybe seven months. And it is hot as hell in Las Vegas when you're delivering this mail. And so I just thought, guys, why don't we just try it this way? And they're like, Khalil, you don't, my supervisor was like, Khalil, you have no stripes. You haven't been here long enough to suggest change. Shut up, color, do your 20 years and get a pension. and. Like, don't, 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 don't try not to bump into the furniture, but I just couldn't help myself. So I remember getting with a couple buddies of mine at the motor pool, which on base is the equivalent of an auto mechanic shop. And we rigged up a truck with these, with these uh, racks and we improved the, the speed of mail delivery on base by 27%. And I won airman of the quarter. I won an award for it. Nice. So I just wanted to illustrate that because. It it's like when I've had these ideas, it hasn't been people, you know, hands across America going, oh, let's do this together. <laughs> it's always been this like, oh, this guy's nuts. What's his problem? <laughs> uh, that's kind of, I, don't, I can't remember the top off the top of my head how the saying goes, but it's something about like, do and ask for forgiveness as opposed to wait yeah. for permission. Yeah. I think I just, I love working with people who will just do and ask for forgiveness if it doesn't work out because I mean, that's how you just got to get some things done sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And it's, if you can get past the initial fear of people thinking you've lost your mind, you're, you're in there. Well, I I guess an interesting Mm -hmm. part of that is that um, when you see a system and to you, it's obvious that it's not, it, it could be better. You just see like it, this, this is, this could be way better, but it's obvious then that nobody else thought that way or even thinks that way. So you have to show them for them to understand. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think psychologically we are programmed towards comfort and as little change as possible. And I think that's something else that I have learned along the way. Yeah, that's interesting. You, you seem to have take, kind of taken a big chance, uh, I guess, midway or through a, through a career into um, doing a software development bootcamp. Uh, and maybe it was at first just to be able to update your own website. Um, but then I guess obviously you were, you were, all, you were thinking of, of turning some of your ideas into something and then eventually came up with We, we Show Up. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, extremely liberating when I, when I took, they used to have to, um, when, when you signed up for CodeCore back in the day, back in 2014 uh, or when did I, yeah, basically what they did was um, 2016, sorry, 2016. Basically what they did was you had to go to code Academy and you had to do the JavaScript course. Mm -hmm. And so I did, I didn't realize that all the tools that I needed to become a proficient coder were free. Mm -hmm. See, that's the other thing 
it's one of the things I love about Canada is that it, is that the <laughs> education. I mean, I'm not saying it's cheap here, but in the U.S., it's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Like you're taught from an early mm-hmm. age that you go to high school and then anything past that you can't afford. Right. And and so mm-hmm. the notion that all I needed was a laptop and an internet connection to get on Code Academy to at least mess around with JavaScript, it completely blew my mind. I actually, you know what I felt like is everybody knew that but me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, the the funny thing about really so many things is that uh, once you know how it works, once you know where to access things, once you know how something um how to do something, it, it can be very obvious, but it's not always obvious when you don't know. That's right. That's right. Um, and I think you're also, you're absolutely right. Like uh, the resources that are available today to, um, to learn to code or to learn to do almost anything, almost everything's available online and for free. Yeah. It's incredible. I got to take a class at, uh, was it Harvard or MIT? It's a computer science class mm-hmm. online. I was like, oh man, my thirst for learning is going to get me in trouble because this is, I I think Free Code Camp sends out like, here are the 500 online computer science classes you can take for free this week. It's like, what in Mm -hmm. the, it's just, it's just incredible. I just, I just find it so amazing. I think it was, uh, it was MIT that first started with the open courseware where they started to to have everything online for free. And I, I, I definitely took advantage of some of that. And then um, a lot of other places started following suit. And so you can, you can give yourself, you know, you can actually sit in on classes, you know, watch uh, Stanford lectures on YouTube. And um, that, that's fantastic. But then on the other hand, people still end up paying and, and going places. Knowing what you know now, uh, would you still go back and do the boot camp? I would. I would. Because one of the things I feel like you do not get from an, uh, uh, um, those kinds of things Mm-hmm. Is that in-person uh, context? Like you were saying, you know, before we uh, hopped on today, it was students learn students learn so much from other students, mm-hmm. and your exposure mm-hmm. to other ways of thinking, other cultures, uh, other approaches, even dealing with crazy people. You know, when you're at home and watching it on YouTube, you're just dealing with yourself. But the, the invaluable part of going in person. And having to pair with someone else who thinks completely differently than you, it just opens up your world to so many more things. It's it's the equivalent of traveling. Traveling, you know, is that's the same thing. Did you meet anyone uh, at CodeCore that you 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 still keep in touch with and you're still friends with today? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were a cohort twelve, the Dirty Dozen. So <laughs> we, um, yeah, we. I mean, there's there's Greg and Christian. And Frank, I mean, these, we still text and we don't talk as much as we'd like probably, but yeah, we, uh, we're, we're still friends and, uh, we still support each other. It's, and for me, I sort of tend to have, I tend to be sort of sentimental about that anyway, because of my time in the military as a performer is that I, I've always felt mm-hmm. like these, you know, the, these people become family to me because we, when you go through something difficult, and you're exposed and you're, you're, you're vulnerable and you're afraid and you have people there to lift you up. It just creates a different kind of friendship than you can typically find in Vancouver. Yeah. I think, I think that's something that maybe someday we'll find some ways to, to simulate something like that online, but no matter how, how much, 
how good the content is and even some places how well curated it can be. Um, it's something that you can't really, you, you can't get that experience and that bonding that you, you kind of go through a journey with others yeah. um, in person you, and, and you just don't have that online. That's right. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. And I think there's a healthy combination of both because yeah, you, 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 there is value in you having your own time to focus and, and code and have that heads down time, but without the TAs and, and without someone saying, I don't know, you just need sort of a, a framework or a scaffolding for all this stuff you're learning so that you know best practices and where it goes. And, and more importantly, one of the things that I learned was that I did have a great, um, you learn things about yourself that people who don't know you are going to tell you, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, Khalil, man, you, you know, you, you're really creative with this code stuff. I was like, Oh, I thought I was only creative on stage. I, I, I never would have thought that it applied to coding. Mm-hmm. So, so other people's uh, things that other people can speak into your learning journey are also really valuable. That's an interesting point. Actually, I was going to ask you like, coming from a performing background and then moving into tech, um, you're balancing like what a lot of people would probably call like some left and right brained activities. And did you always kind of feel a little bit on both sides or? I did. I, I felt a little on both sides because during my performing career in the Air Force, the performers were also required to learn how to EQ our own mics and set up our own lights mm-hmm. and load our own trucks. Mm-hmm. So, so I've sort of always spent time on both sides of the curtain, so to speak. So for me, it was felt like Mm -hmm. a natural progression as a coder to not just understand how to use a website, but how to build one. And, and it was, yeah, yeah, it it felt, you know, at first it didn't feel comfortable because it was terrifying. And I was like, what do you mean? What is a fizz buzz? And, oh man, (laughs) bubbling. Are you kidding me? I was like, what is an event loop? But anyway, (laughs) um, it it did feel really comfortable once I sunk my teeth into it. Coming back to cool. We Show Up, um, what kind of people would use this? I guess obviously performers, anybody who's who's doing a show or um, does it work for uh, if, if I'm a performer and I want to book a theater? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. It, it started, I, I obviously thought it would be performers because that's why I created it. But we have uh, virtual wine tastings. We've had... Uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff up there. Um, we've had performers in any, any organizer for any event back in the live entertainment days, we show up launched in March of 2019 and it was used primarily by performing arts centers and performing artists. And then with COVID it's Mm -hmm. really expanded into teaching workshops. Mm -hmm. Um, and anyone who really wants to, to have an audience, and, you know, uh, we were able to migrate seamlessly to doing online events rather than in-person in events, uh, because that's just the way mm-hmm. the code was written. And so we didn't have to change our mission or anything, but we were able to see a completely different demographic of wineries. And um, there's there's something up there now that's the Office trivia, the, the cast, the off-Broadway cast of the Office parody is doing trivia with fans. Yeah. And... That's yeah, so cool. it's it's been really, really fun. Very cool. So I was just thinking if we wanted to have um, a tech event or something like that, it might be uh, an appropriate platform to use. Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. Tech events. We've also recently uh, acquired a VR company out of the Okanagan so that we can, for uh, conferences, one of the things that's been exciting that I've been um, working on the last couple of weeks is with this new team that we've acquired, which means that you can do a conference, but you're not stuck in the normal, please kill me, I'm watching Zoom all day thing. You can actually, we can build a VR experience that doesn't require goggles. So people can use this link and and journey into different rooms and view different keynotes and Mm -hmm. even make purchases within the VR world um, and, and chat with others who are at the conference. So we're trying to make it more immersive and and we've had a lot of interest from conferences in that respect. So how would I get started with something like that? If I were to hold an event and I wanted to use we show up, you just go to we show up.io and click on get started and it'll send you a few emails. Sorry. It'll send you a few, uh, it'll ask you a few questions to make sure you are indeed human. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's self-serve. So, yeah, it does set. It does ask you. We do require everyone who uses it to do a short demo with our team, which takes maybe eleven minutes. And and from the time you're signed into your dashboard to getting things on sale, I think the average organizer can do it in about seven and a half, eight minutes. As long as you're not using Windows Seven or something, you're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds that sounds really great. I think for uh, the next event that I organize, I might try to give it a shot and, and see what it's like. Please do. Yeah. We, we'd love to have you. I think you really enjoy it. And we've, we've made some really great improvements so that it can be used for online events or live events or both or hybrid events. We recently did something with a bunch of American idol contestants called beyond Hollywood fest where they're singing in their living mm-hmm. rooms. And uh, so that was, yeah, it's, it's uh, I really think you'll like it. Very cool. I'll make sure to check it out. Khalil uh, Ashanti of We Show Up. Thank you very much for being on this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vancouver Tech Podcast. Check out our website, vancouvertechpodcast.ca. Rate and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Van Tech Podcast. Feel free to leave comments below episodes on our website. Also find us on YVR Dev and Van Tech Slack teams at Lauren and at Drew. Special thanks to Same Room for sponsoring us with an integration that allows for cross-messaging channels such as hashtag FanDevs. And thanks to our sponsor, CompSci Academy. Learn software development with master developers from first principles and accelerate your career. Music by Ashell in the Pit from the game Architect.